10 reasons you should not start an RIA. That is today's topic on the Transition to RIA question and answer series. It is episode number 47. Hi, I'm Brad Wales with Transition to RIA, where I help you understand everything there is to know about why and how to transition to the RA model. Uh, so fun topic today. We're gonna go over 10 reasons you shouldn't start an RIA. Uh, and the reason I say fun is because these are 10 things, uh, there's certainly more than 10, but 10 things I hear from advisors that people are telling them as to why they should not start an RIA. And so uh, there's some validity to some of them and others, quite frankly, there's not. And we're going to go over a quick 10 of them today to talk about these common uh, examples or, or, or reasons given as to why you should not start an RIA. And to be sure, I am not a believer that everyone should start an RIA. There, it does need to be a match for your practice what you want to accomplish with your firm going forward and, and, and the, the types of clients you want to work with and types of solutions you want to offer. And so I'm not naive to the fact that thinking, oh, oh, everyone should go RA. That's certainly not the case. And that's something I help advisors with daily is to try to understand should they consider going down this path. However, I do hear a lot of reasons of, of what people are being told of why they shouldn't do it that arguably are not fair and accurate reasons to be given. And so again, we're going to tackle some of those here uh, today. So uh, going through 10 of them, again, like I said, there's, there's arguably more than 10 bad explanations out there, but I did want to touch on a few here. So the first one, you're not 100% fee-based. So surely, unless you're already or plan to be 100% fee-based, you, you, people are being told you should not start your own RIA. And the reality is that's not accurate at all. Now, there are quite a few RIAs that are 100% fee only and, and very uh, by design have set up their firm to only be fee only. And that's perfectly fine, perfectly acceptable way to, to set up your business model. However, there are absolutely solutions available for advisors that want to have their own RA and still be able to offer some amount of commission business or maybe insurance business or maybe other services as well. So do not think if someone says, oh, unless you're 100% fee only, that the RA model is not for you. Number two, you won't have the resources that your clients are going to demand. As if what what resources are you not going to have available to you if you go down the RIA path? I, anyone that tells you that, I would challenge you to say, what specifically are you referring to that if I were to go down into the RIA model, I would no longer have available to me to offer to, to work with my clients regarding that, that maybe I have at my firm now? And, and, and so if someone wants to throw out, oh, oh well, you, you're going to need trust services and capabilities. Guess what? You absolutely can, can accommodate that in the RA world. Oh, you need lending services. Absolutely can do that as well. Uh, all kinds of things. You, you, could, you could run down the list, and I challenge you to do this. If anyone ever says to you, oh, you're not going to have the resources that your clients, particularly your, your wealthy, your ultra-wealthy clients are going to demand, I challenge you to, to, to find out. Ask yourself. Talk to someone like me and say, will I have access to these things? Maybe there was a time that was not that ecosystem of, of what was available to RAs could not accommodate a lot of that. 
but I challenge you to find one now that you cannot find in the RIA model that you have available to you now to run with that. Uh, the next one, the technology is not as good in the RIA model. Now, this one, I would tell you, uh, there was a time, and you got to go back quite a long time ago, that I think this was fair to, to use that uh, explanation. Oh, the technology is not as good in the RA model. And, and part of why that is, is if you go back 10, 20, 30 years ago type thing, uh, as firms are developing technology to this day, it costs a lot of money. A lot of investment goes into making good technology. And 30 years ago, the RA model was so new, so fragmented, there wasn't enough users of any particular technology to be able to support the needed investment to make those tools on par with what the big traditional uh, broker dealer firms are able to do. And so that broker dealer firm into this day, they still do this is if a broker dealer has 10,000 advisors, 15,000 advisors, their, their investment in their technology, they get to spread out over perhaps 15,000 advisors. And so that, that, that provides them economies of scale to be able to invest these millions of dollars into developing great technology. And there's a time that they had 15,000. The RA model did not have those kinds of numbers. Now, the reality is that is completely switched now. There are now technology solutions that have way more users than 15,000 uh, advisors using their application. So ironically, when that, when that argument is used, oh, that the technology is not as good. It's actually, no, the third-party technology solutions that support the RA model actually have more users to spread that investment out across versus those traditional firms do. So they can, in theory, invest more into those platforms and, and improve them on a continuous basis. So don't let anyone tell you that, oh, the technology is not as good. That, there was a time I think that was a fair argument to make. That time is gone. Not, not the case at all anymore. All right, next up, and sorry, I should have been numbering these. Number four, you'll have to do your own compliance. Absolutely, you will have to do your own compliance if you're an RIA. Now, you could join an existing RIA, and part of their value add is they do the compliance for you. So that's certainly worth exploring as well. But let's say you do just want to have your own RIA, and oh gosh, now I have to do my own compliance. But I would challenge you to, challenge you to consider this. You're, you're having to adhere to compliance now, right? If you're at one of the large traditional firms and oh, if you go in the RA model, you're gonna have compliance, yes. But the difference is in the RIA model, the way you accommodate that or way, the, way you work through uh, your responsibilities with as far as compliance goes is you work with specialty compliance consultant firms. You pay them on the front end to help you set up your RA and you pay them on an ongoing basis to help you make sure you are staying compliant with all of the rules and regulations that come along and the things you must do on an annual basis. But here's a, and, and yes, that is new that you have to go out there and you have to work with one of those partners. You have to pay that person directly. Uh, now, I always tell people, I did a whole episode on this. Don't think compliance is free for you now if you're at one of the large firms. You're paying for it. It's just in your payout is where you're paying for that. But one of the big differences in that RA model where you go out there and source your own compliance consultant is now you, the advisor, are the client of the, of the, the compliance consultant firm. So that's, that's entirely different than how how the, the arrangement essentially is with your current firm. So, so the point I make by that is, let's say 
you have a compliance question or you're trying to work through uh, an interesting uh, situation you're trying to do with your practice and you need creative thinking, creative solutions. Now, we, we all got to play within the rules, but, but uh, have a fresh mindset of how maybe something could be accommodated. If you don't think your compliance consultant firm that you've hired is doing a good job in that regard, if they're being responsive, if they're being open to new ideas to help talk through with you, guess what? You can replace that compliance consultant firm. You can say, they are not satisfying my needs and I'm going to go find another compliance consultant firm that will be more responsive to my needs. Try doing that at your current firm. You have no vote in that. You, you take it or leave it. You're compli if you're at one of the large firms, your compliance firm or your compliance department tells you what to do. And if they're not responsive, you don't really have much uh, say in the matter. I mean, you can say something, but whether they're actually accomplishing anything, in the RA model where you hire the compliance consultant firm, you do have a say because you can fire them and move on to someone else if they're not fit in your needs. All right, number five, kind of related to compliance. Oh, you will get audited. The SEC, if you're big enough, or the state, depending on your size, will come in and audit you. Absolutely the case. But again, that's why you have a compliance consultant firm to help you to prepare you for when that inevitable day comes you will be ready for it and you will, you will have the, the proper things in place to be able to manage that process. Now, make no mistake, it still is a process if you have the SEC come into your office and do an examination that if you're at one of the large firms now, you are not having to experience or not having the responsibility for. I completely concede that point. However, to give you some data and the last numbers and probably about 12 months old now, so but I doubt it's changed much. The last time I heard the SEC update how many SEC RA registered or uh, how many SEC registered RAs they had examined that year. Uh, they said it was about 20% of SEC RAs they had examined in that year. So if you do that math, that means on average, and there's different variables that could change this one way or another, but on average, every SEC RIA is being examined once every five years. So I challenge you for all of the benefits of having your own RIA uh, from economics flexibility, I've done all kinds of episodes on that. Would you be willing to take on the responsibility that as of right now, roughly happens every five years? So yes, it's a responsibility. Yes, it's something you have to take very seriously. Yes, you need to work with the compliance consultants to manage it. But this is not something that, that is gonna happen every quarter of every year. Again, on average, there's, there's differences why it might be more or less every five years. Some states I've heard go even longer than that sometimes between examinations. So again, yes, it's a responsibility. Do not let anyone overplay just how big or small of a responsibility that is. Uh, number six, if the market declines, you, the RIA, will be stuck with all of these fixed costs such as, such as your office lease. So the market goes down, you're stuck with that. But hey, if you work for us, our big, large traditional firm, we cover the office lease. You don't need to stress about that. And, and mathematically, that, that is correct. But I would tell you or ask you, okay, does the market more often go up over time or go down over time? So yes, when it goes down, there is some validity to that argument. But if you are playing the long game here, if you have five years, 10 years, 20 plus years left in your career, more than likely, no guarantee, more than likely the market's going to go up more than it goes down. And as it goes up, 
you get to benefit from, as they say, operated leverage because while the market goes up and if you're, and if you're charging on a, on a percentage of assets, as your revenue goes up, your fixed cost, in the example of office lease, generally stays the same. And yeah, there's, there's usually annual increases that are they're pre-built into a lease, but, but generally speaking, those are pretty fixed. So yes, it's a fair point to say, oh, if the market goes down, you're not going to want to have that fixed cost. Again, I challenge you, over the long term, is the market more likely to go up or go down? Uh, number seven, your clients won't follow you. If you go start this own firm, you leave our big firm, you, the clients are not going to follow you. And, and where I, and I'll even keep this one short because where I find that comical is if you're at a firm that's telling you that, and, you, and that same firm is out there recruiting advisors from other firms to bring them to their firm. Do they not think that it's possible for a good advisor that has good relationships with their clients to have that advisor bring their clients with them? So it's, it's disingenuous when they tell you, oh, you, if you leave, you won't be able to bring your clients with you. So you don't even want to try that. Oh, but by the way, we're out there recruiting other advisors. And as we bring them on, you know, we absolutely anticipate them bringing their clients with us with them. Otherwise, we wouldn't be recruiting them. So it's, it's weird. They, they forget to point out that part of the uh, your clients won't follow you argument. Uh, number eight, uh, and this is kind of outdated the, the, the frame, the terminology, you'll see why, but do you really want to be responsible for when the Xerox machine breaks? And the reason I say it's outdated is because thankfully we're going to less and less uh, hard copy paper things. And so the Xerox machine's not what it once was in a, in a practice, but you could use anything. If the internet goes down, do you really want to be dealing with that sort of thing? And, and yes, if you have your own independent firm, you will have that responsibility. Now you might be able to delegate that to someone on your team to manage that. But even if you think, okay, ultimately if it rolls up to you, Again, how often does that sort of thing happen? And, and to be fair, it does. If you're a small business owner, things come along, things, things get thrown your way that you must deal with. And so where you want to put, where you want to, the perspective you want to have of that is, okay, let's say you're at your current firm now, or you could move into the RAA model. And, and, and upon moving into the RAA model, you are now going to have to worry about the proverbial Xerox machine issue. Now, if your compensation by making this move would go up $1,000 a year, you might easily say, that's not worth having these potential headaches come along that I got to deal with. And maybe if it goes up $5,000 a year, that's not worth it. For some of you, $25,000, that's still not worth it. But at some point, I think everyone would agree, everyone has a number that if their compensation under this new model goes up enough, they are willing to take on some of these additional headaches or responsibilities that come along with it. And so I just challenge you, what is your number? If that math says you can make an extra $100,000 a year, an extra $200,000 a year, I'm not over promising. Each advisor situation is different, but the math does generally have a big gap depending on where you are now uh, to, to what could be achieved under that RE model. And for that, you do have these additional responsibilities. But at some point, I would assume you would agree that the additional compensation warrants having to have these additional responsibilities. Again, that, that, that might take more than 1,000 or 5,000 or $25,000 a year, but at some point you'd probably say, okay, it's worth me having to worry about the stupid Xerox machine going down from time to time. Uh, number nine, Th this one is, is just frustrating that it's even still being used that any advisors that go to independent models are just not good enough 
to be at the wirehouse firms or the traditional firms, whatever you, whatever uh, phrase you want to use. And, and you still hear that from time to time. Oh, that's, that's just for the dropouts. That's for the flunkies. And, and, and I would say, look, look at, look at the statistics, look at who is making that move. These are very large advisors are making the move out of these traditional firms, billion dollar plus advisors, billion dollar plus teams that, that are making, have made, continue to make the move into the RA model. So if supposedly the independent models available out there are just for the ones that can't hack it, can't cut it at these, at the big traditional firms, all, all I'm going to say is why, why do we see a constant exodus of these large teams, uh, oftentimes much larger advisors than, than, the, than the people that are, that are making these same comments themselves, but oh, they just can't cut it. Okay, hey, it is what it is. Those folks are making the move. Apparently they can cut it on the end, or apparently they can cut it because they've grown billion dollar practices and they are choosing to go to a more independent approach instead. Uh, and then the last one, number 10, th this, is, this one I, I always find comical. Uh, and I won't do it justice with exactly how it's phrased, but basically the message is, oh, geez, if, if you leave and you're this smaller independent thing, your, your clients are going to worry because if, if something goes bad or you do something wrong, they want to be able to sue that large firm with the deep pockets. They, they, they don't want your small little firm. And so I just always wondered like, okay, so let me get this straight advisor that's saying this. Part of your strategy is apparently you sit down with your clients and say to them, if you're at one of these large firms now, I guess, and say, hey, hey, client, just so you know, if I end up screwing you over or I end up stealing money from you, the good news for you is you're going to have the big firm behind me to sue if and when that happens. But if you go over there, oh, it's, that's not going to be the case. No one, no one is saying that to their clients at all. So that, that's all like in theory, no advisors value propositions. Don't worry, if I screw you over, you're going to have a big firm to go and sue. So don't let anyone convince you that, oh, that's, that's going to be a big deterrent because no one's using that to their advantage with their clients right now anyways. It's just not the case. Um, and, and then a couple of things just to wrap up with, I, I would challenge you to think through the, the primarily where you hear these 10 things being said are from the types of firms that, that say, oh, wow, we offer the best solution for advisors. We offer the best platform. That RA model, absolutely, for, again, for the various reasons I noted and other ones, that's, that's totally inferior. That's not where you want to go. That's where small advisors go, that sort of thing. But it's, it's interesting because those same firms do some interesting things uh, that I want to go through a couple of them. So for instance, those same firms have a thing called deferred comp. So for some reason, uh, their existing advisors, they take some of their income each year against, their, against their, their will and defer it years into the future. So that, that at its sole purpose is to have handcuffs to keep the advisor at the firm. So it's, it's interesting. So if the firm themselves are the superior place for an advisor to be and, and far better than these other options. Why would it be necessary to have deferred comp? Shouldn't advisors just want to stay there? You, that, that, that's not necessary at all. Another example, non-solicit agreements. If, if the RA model is so inferior for both the advisor and the client, 
Why would any of these firms need non-solicit agreements? Surely, if an advisor were to make the mistake of leaving our firm to go down the RA model, surely the clients wouldn't follow them because clearly we provide a better value, better service, a better platform to the clients. So, so why, why is a non-solicit even necessary if supposedly you have the better offering as a firm and for the clients? Again, it makes you think. Uh, and then the last just little example, and that is, is the non-protocol firm. So for those of you that don't know, the protocol uh, is an agreement among various industry firms that basically says, hey, if an advisor leaves our firm, goes to your firm under certain circumstances, we agree we're not going to sue each other over it. Um, and and that's, that's gone back a decade plus. And, and, but some firms have dropped out of that. Some of the large traditional firms have dropped out of the protocol uh, program. And, and again, it begs the difference. Why drop out of it? If your platform is so appealing to advisors, why do you need to drop out of the protocol platform to try to make it harder for advisors to leave? Because shouldn't they already apparently want to stay with you? They would never want to go somewhere else because you are already apparently providing them the superior platform. Um, again, makes you wonder. And, and to be clear, if you're at a firm that's non-protocol, don't think that precludes you from making a move. It just It's a different transition process than if they were protocol. But again, it just begs the question, why are these firms that say they are so much better for the advisor, so much better for the client? Why do they feel necessary to put these handcuffs in place if what they offer is so much better than these independent paths, these independent approaches, for instance, with your own RIA? Um, and, and then again, as we wrap up, I would just tell you, if you ever hear any of these comments being made, any of these, these examples being made, it's just... Two, two things that could be driving the motivation of that person making those comments, whether it's a fellow colleague advisor, it's a branch manager, a complex manager, maybe the management at your firm. Number one, have they ever been in the RA model to begin with? And if they haven't, it's not their fault that they don't necessarily know fully how it works. Why, why would they? That's a big part of what I help advisors with. If you've never been in the RA model, you haven't necessarily been prepared to know how the economics work and the flexibility works and the responsibility works. And so for them to give you advice, oh, oh, you don't do it because of this, 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 and this, but, but how would they really know they haven't been in that world to, to, to fully understand it? So again, you got to, even if well-intended or not well-intended, they just possibly don't have the information necessary to even be able to give you this advice in the first place. Uh, and then the other part of it is oftentimes those folks that are telling you these things, oh, oh, this is why you shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this, shouldn't do this. It's because they have a vested interest with their compensation for you to stay where you are. So whether that's a branch manager or a complex manager or whoever all the way up the chain, they of course don't want you to leave because if you leave, that's less revenue than for the firm, most likely depriving them of their uh, compensation. So again, they have a biased reason to be telling you all these horrible things about it. Now, you might say, but Brad, you have a bias. I am biased to the RA model. My whole firm is based on moving to the, the, to the, uh, the RA model, helping advisors understand it and possibly move to it. And I agree, yeah, that's absolutely what I do. So what I would challenge you to, and I am not afraid to put this out there, is say, okay, if you're at one of the large traditional firms and you're thinking about maybe, hey, going into the RA model, talk to me about the RA model, all of the options, all of the ways it can be done, all of the benefits, all of the responsibilities, again, there's pros and cons to everything, become informed and then separately talk to whoever at your firm, your branch manager, your complex person about your platform to the degree you don't feel you already fully understand all of the benefits they're providing for you and, and the responsibilities you have there. 
I'm not afraid to absolutely talk to them. Absolutely understand they are providing you value. Make sure you fully understand it. But then and only then, now that you have two complete pictures of what each scenario is, can you make a decision uh, about which might be better for you? Now, I, I challenge you, have you ever seen a branch manager or a complex manager at one of the large firms tell you, oh, go, go talk to that RA guy, go talk to Brad Wells, uh, because I'm not afraid that, that you'll find the RA model more appealing. Uh, so go ahead and have that conversation and then come back and talk to me. They, they generally don't want you doing that. I'm not afraid to say it because I am absolutely convinced that for, for a, I don't want to say most, but a good number of advisors, again, not all, the RA model is the better path once they understand it and once they understand how that process works. So I'm not afraid of saying, hey, learn about the RA model and do make sure you fully understand everything you have to gain and benefit from your current firm. You should do that exercise. And, and at the end of the day, enough advisors still feel the RA model is better, that, it, that it, that's, that's what drives my business is that that exists. But again, I'm not afraid to suggest you do that. I challenge you to the people that are telling you all these negative things. Why, why are they afraid of you talking to someone like me? Why, why do we you know, have to be careful about uh, only talking on cell phones and personal email addresses? The, 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 what, what do they have to be worried about if supposedly they offer the superior platform. So I just challenge you to think about that, think it through. Uh, and so with that, hope you found this helpful. We just at a very high glance went through 10 quick things. I've done a lot of episodes on each of these individual topics. Uh, I, I suggest you take a look at and dive deeper into. Uh, if you are not already there, if you head on over to transition to RIA.com, uh, you can find all kinds of additional resources uh, all of my episodes are in video form, also in podcast form. I have white papers, all kinds of resources to help you better understand the RA model. And then the number one thing you can do to, to uh, efficiently learn more about this is just go ahead and reach out to me. Top of every page is a contact link. Uh, click on that. You can instantly and easily schedule a time to have a discovery call with me and we can begin this dialogue to help you learn more about what the RA model really is and how that compares to your current firm. And only then can you make a fully informed decision about whether this is something you should be uh, exploring further or not. So with that, I hope you found uh, today's episode helpful and I'll see you on the next one.